in the context of chips are now like entire cities that you're building, they're building a big, nice city. <laughs> My thought is we could be moving into a period where you have three really well-run, high-execution companies in semiconductors. Intel isn't just a chip manufacturer. It is also a very pivotal part of the geopolitics of technology right now. From Orion X, in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Shaheen. Good to be with you again today. Great to be with you. Big week last week. Very big week, dominated by NVIDIA and its twice-a-year GTC conference, which certainly has generated generally, I would say, gushing applause. Yes, that is very true. It's a big party that they do. I got the feeling that the one in this time of year is the main one, at least it was historically. And then the other one is more of a second option in a different geography and that they have other more regional ones around the world, if I'm not mistaken. I was reviewing some of the reviews, some in the financial community. One analyst said they have to do two of these a year because they put out so much, his phrase, envelope-pushing technology. Once a year would just be too much for the market to take in. That's one perspective. <laughs> I thought that the original motivation was to reach out to other parts of the world who may not be able to participate in this mm. one. Now, when COVID hit, they went virtual, and they also made registration free for the virtual conference. So their attendance just mushroomed. I remember in the old, old days when they had started out with just really small number of people and then it went into thousands and then when they went online it mushroomed to like 50,000 and this one they expected something like 200,000 people to have logged in wow. at some point so that's really pretty giant and that of course matches the transformation of Nvidia itself as a chip maker for gaming to a chip maker for HPC and GPGPUs and then AI and then now into systems and networking and software so yeah they are growing the frontiers. Yeah, certainly a huge software push. Again, on the financial end of things, if one of the objectives of the conference was support for the stock, they succeeded because on the day of Jensen's uh, keynote speech, the stock went up 10%. Yeah, that's pretty significant. And I know there are several Wall Street analysts who really love what they hear and they like the numbers that back him up. The other thing I've noticed is that maybe they did that before too, and I didn't notice it, but they've got into announcing it this year and delivering it next year. And we'll get to what all they announced, but some of the systems that are looking like they're real, they were announced last year. And in fact, at least in a few occasions, they announced last year, they sort of launched this year, and they're going to actually deliver next year. So that's another pattern that I see that keeps everybody excited by providing a pipeline of announcements in various degrees of deliverability. Yeah, they are certainly pushing how far in advance of the actual ship date they're announcing new products. Yes, yes. Do you want to take us through what all they announced or do you want me to? Please launch in. Okay, so they started obviously historically as GPUs. And then they got into GPGPU. So that's always been a main category. They have gone downstream to SOCs and embedded chips that they do, especially for the automotive market, which of course by itself is a really big giant market. Then they bought Mellanox and that got them into networking. 
outside of the chip. They had networking inside the chip with NVLink in the past. And then the really big announcement last year was that they're going to formally get into the CPU world in a big way for the enterprise with ARM technology. And that, of course, coincided with their attempt to buy ARM. But you know, fundamentally, as we discussed on this show a couple of times, they didn't need to buy ARM to do this. They could just license it, which is what they have done. And that led to the Grace chip that they talked about, named after Grace Hopper, the luminary of the HPC history. And Grace was announced last year and was launched this year and is going to be delivered towards the end of this year, early next year, depending on what volume you'd like. So that was the big net new thing, that we are now a CPU company in a big way. Within GPU, they did the Hopper chip. That's the other half of the Grace Hopper branding. For networking, they have a new NVLink. They also have a new DPU that is coming out of Mellanox. That's for data processing unit. And that includes 400 gigabits per second across the board. And then they announced a new SOC for AV. And then they've talked about Omniverse in the past. They've been working on it for the past couple of years. There was Omniverse on one part, the Quantum SDK, the Q Quantum, named after CUDA Quantum, and then some cybersecurity and a few other things. Yeah, the Hopper GPU, it's an 80 billion transistor system. Pretty impressive. Yes. In fact, one of the interesting things is that their design philosophy... And as I said in a tweet, maybe out of strategic necessity, but also out of astute analysis of the market, is to go build a really big giant chip. And we've seen that historically with Volta and then with Ampere and now with Hopper. It is like, go get the best manufacturing fab capability we can get from TSMC and then load it Mm -hmm. up and try to have capabilities for all the different application bases that we're trying to cover. Initially, it was just triangle processing and texture mapping and all what you needed for gaming, ray tracing and such. And then over time, it became 32 bits and then 64-bit computations for HPC. And then it became AI, 32-bit AI, mixed precision AI going down to now 8-bit floating point. And again, mixed precision there. And now this time with transformers and adding to that. So in the context of what we've said before, i.e. chips are now like entire cities that you're building, they're building a big, nice city. (laughs) Yeah. And this is going to be TSMC N4, the four nanometer, quote unquote, four nanometers technology. Now, were you surprised it's four nanometers, not three? Well, I was hoping that they would Uh do three, but I think that in the time frame that they want, four nanometer is going to be the latest, greatest. Now, maybe by the time they actually ship, the three nanometer might come online, but it hasn't yet. Apple was five nanometers. Initially, I thought that maybe Apple would have first dibs on three, and maybe that will end up being the case. But also, we have to remember that these designations no longer really mean what they say. When you say TSMC four nanometers, that doesn't exactly mean four nanometers. That's just the brand. Same thing with Intel. When they say Intel 20, that's 20 angstroms. Well, is it really? So you really have to look at the transistor density to get a feel for exactly what you're getting. But it is right now the latest, greatest. You're right. I mean, the nanometer thing from one company to the next means different things. And I know Intel a couple of years ago tried to launch an effort to change how we look at chips and move away from the nanometer kind of focus. But we're still looking at things that way. I think by moving to angstroms instead of nanometers, they may have an opportunity to do that. Because now after this batch, they're talking about 2018, 14, et cetera. And those are a little bit more of a brand. There's no unit involved in that number anymore. They're not saying 20 angstroms. They're saying just 20. On the arm business, you know, certainly one of the dramas of the past 
18 months has been watching the hurdles and roadblocks thrown in front of NVIDIA's acquisition of ARM, which last month they officially dropped. But in Jensen's remarks with the media last week, one thing that came out of the work that they did with ARM and all of the meetings and discussions and strategizing is that he said that pushed ARM to actually add more HPC class capabilities into their offering. Along those lines, we can also observe that Risk Five is doing some of very similar things. When I talked to Mark Himmelstein, their CTO, this is like a year or so ago, maybe even more than that, they were already working on vector instructions on embedded low power kind of sensor class chips. And this was an indication that some of these number crunching instructions are making their way into everywhere as AI becomes more of a standard enterprise and edge workload, you're going to need to treat the data a little bit more numerically intensive kinds of a way. That sounds very, very apropos to me, and I'm glad that it has happened. Now, your take overall, Shaheen, I believe, is that this raft of announcements, it still represents kind of an incremental linear progression for NVIDIA, as opposed to groundbreaking showstopper. The groundbreaking aspect of it is really the overall corporate strategy. As I mentioned, to go from a graphics PC chip manufacturer to more and more and more, and now really put a lot of focus on software and put a lot of focus on systems. They also announced SuperPods and EGX and DGX and all things that they've done before with Intel chips now with their own chip. And there are companies that are buying them and there are companies that are OEMing them. That is what's groundbreaking to me. When I look at the individual chips that are being built, they're all wonderful. They're very innovative, but they're not like, oh my God, nobody thought of that. That's my way of trying to put them in the context while applauding the work. <laughs> yeah. You know, with GTC, AMD and Intel also were quite active with the media last week trying to share some of the spotlight with NVIDIA. Looking at Pat Gelsinger, I'd say certainly as a public spokesperson for the company, he projects confidence, energy, and optimism. Whether he succeeds in recharging Intel as an innovation leader uh, in chip design, let's assume for the sake of discussion that he does. My thought is we could be moving into a period where you have three really well-run, high-execution companies in semiconductors, including TSMC on the fab side that we could be moving into a, a really strong period in the chip business. We absolutely could. In fact, I think we will. I think we will have at least three, if not more. I mean, as we've talked before, there are currently, according to various estimates and our own at Orion X, upwards of 60 different projects to do chips of various kinds yeah. here and there, right? Now, a lot of those are on the inference side, where there are more unique requirements and more varied killer apps you could optimize for. But when you look at even on the learning enterprise side, obviously you've got Cerberus with the wafer scale. Now that's the real giant chip. And of course, wafers right now are at 300 millimeters, like 30 centimeters wafer. There was a time when people were talking about bigger wafers, that if I'm remembering correctly, 490 or 675 or something. But that really hasn't panned out in part because the equipment that manages wafers can handle this size really well. My analogy is when the document you're trying to copy is bigger than the copier. <laughs> so now you have to go build a copier that can manage that. And in the printing world, that is in fact the case. So if you go for wide format or large format printers, 
it's a different world. It's higher margin, more specialized, but you can do that. So in the chip world, 30 nanometers may be it, but then you have a vendor that is doing that. Now, that is an example of groundbreaking because they had to solve a lot of problems to do this, including how do you prevent it from cracking and how do you do heat management so that one part of the chip is not too much hotter than the other part and many other problems like that that are really exciting to solve. So you have that. You have folks who are including analog processing in addition to digital processing. And the whole mixed signal, so-called, strategy is also groundbreaking. So I do see multiple technology directions. We haven't really got to quantum computing yet for AI and ML, but that is also coming and could be yet another avenue, quantum analog, quantum digital. So all of those promise a really wonderful future as long as we stay out of trouble and not let geopolitics really impact us too much. On that score, certainly the Western countries, NATO countries, the US has woken up to the supply chain threats. And increasingly, there's a focus on domestic production of chips. And certainly Gelsinger is very vocal about that. There's a bill before Congress that would set up $53 billion in incentives for domestic fabs. Absolutely. As we were talking in pre-show, the realities for Intel are just different. Intel isn't just a chip manufacturer. It is also a very pivotal part of the geopolitics of technology right now, not just for the US, but arguably for the whole Western world. And given what's going on in Europe and the threat that it implies in other parts of the world, that is a very different equation. And as we talked in our last show. They don't just have to worry about Wall Street. They also have to worry about Washington. They also have to worry about Brussels. They also have to worry about other political centers in the Western Hemisphere. So that's a different reality that puts Intel in a completely different category. And when we analyze them, we have to recognize that. On that score, looking at TSMC possibly coming under threat from what's assumed to be obviously China's ambitions to take back the island of Taiwan. But with the struggles that Russia has had in Ukraine militarily, I think the consensus is that it's less likely, not more likely, as a result of the Ukraine war, that China will not invade Taiwan. Yes. And of course, it nevertheless represents a kind of geopolitical risk that has to be included. And we covered the article that you posted where some academicians were doing scenario planning. And some of those scenarios were pretty serious scenarios. And if it makes it out to the public, it implies that it's a risk that is becoming more visible. Basically, destroy if China invades Taiwan, destroy TSMC. It's, you know, it's a little mind boggling, but uh, there you have it. And of course, TSMC is building a fab in Phoenix. That's right. And as we discussed in another show, it's going to take a few years before those other fabs end up being the latest, greatest and leading edge. And Intel is investing heavily to get there. And some projections have it that by 2023, they will start catching up. And I think everybody understands the importance of getting it right. And as we also have discussed, Gelsinger and his team are doing a fabulous job. So we're cheering for them. We're cheering really for all of the above. What's happening in technology world is totally a kid in the candy store for many of us, but also points to a brighter future in more serious ways. All right. Well, great, Gene. Great to be with you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. That's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. 
Every episode is featured on InsideHPC.com and posted on OrionX.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC Podcast is a production of OrionX in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.